Well, good morning, everyone. Are you good or what? I know Sean's good, but I'm asking about the rest of you. Are we good? Is it good to be here? Man, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, If you're new with us, welcome. My name is Luke, and I'm just honored that you're here to worship with us this morning. And we are just expectant for what God is going to do in this place. But before we get into Galatians in a message that I'm really excited about this morning, if you've ever wondered what is God calling purpose for your life, I'm glad you're here. Um, But before we get going, I want to have a little family meeting. And we've been praying about this for quite a while. Uh, If you're new with us, we're a little over a year and a half old as a church. Uh, God has been doing some amazing things. Uh, We know that with summertime, everyone gets busy and things are crazy. And so here's what we're going to do for the foreseeable future through the summer. Um, And this is happening for the sake of our volunteers. We love you guys. Thank you for serving. Uh, We know that summer is just crazy. So here's what we're going to do is starting next week, uh, we have a 9 and 11 o'clock service currently. We are actually going to move to one service at 10 a.m. through the summer. Now hear me out before some of you are thinking, but I like the 9. I understand. And there's some people at the 11 that love the 11, and I understand. And so we're going to meet in the middle because one of our values is this. We are one. We stand united under the banner of Jesus. But here's the deal. Everyone in the summer loves the nine. I get it. I do too. The 11 people are like wanting to be on the boat already, and I get that too. Trust me, 150%. I get it. But for the sake of all the people serving in our church, we just don't want to overwhelm them, to be honest. Uh, We really want to be conscious of people that are giving of their time, that are giving of the just just time in the summer to come and serve. In our kids' ministry, I think it takes like 15 volunteers at the 11 o'clock and the 9 o'clock. And so this is what we're doing. We're going to come together as one family unit through the summer at 10 a.m. And it's going to be amazing. Like, if we need to turn the room again and pack the room, that's amazing. The school has given us a couple other rooms for kids' ministry, so it's all going to be great. But I'm just telling you, you guys in this 9 o'clock is amazing. And 11 people are on the boat, I'm just telling you. So we're excited about that. So mark your calendars. Tell your friends that we will do one service at 10 a.m. One of the things that I love about following God is this. And this is our motto as a church. We don't ever want to get ahead of him. And we also don't want to be behind him. And we also don't want to be stubborn in ways that maybe he's doing something different in a season. And we really believe that there is going to be such value for all of us gathering in one room at one time through the summer. And then when the fall comes, if God blows the doors off of this thing, then here we go again. Are we good? Are you guys good with that? A few of you are. We'll see how many we lose next week. That's all right. No, we're excited. Thank you guys seriously for serving. Um, It really is, we can't do this without you. And I've been a part of churches where people who serve get run into the ground, and we're just not going to do that here. We're just not going to over-leverage ourselves for the sake of other people having to pick up other people's slack because we're just not going to do it. It's not healthy, and it's not God's design. So we love you. Thank you for serving, and we're excited for this season of summer. Have you ever felt as if, I'm sure you have, that you don't know God's purpose for your life? 
Maybe it's like, man, Luke, I just don't understand. Like, I don't really know what God's calling me to. Like, I'm not fulfilled. I'm completely depressed. There's a reason that depression rates are skyrocketing in this country. And a lot of it is because we do, we live our entire lives thinking, man, what is, if you're saved, what has God called me to? Am I living within my calling? Am I not? If I'm not, what should I be doing? Where should I be going? And there's this constant cycle, and we're going to see today that the whole reason Jesus came was to set his people free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. But so often, Christians are the worst. I've lived in it before. We just don't walk in this freedom. We don't really get what it's like. We don't really get what it's about. And I think a lot of it is because we don't really understand calling and purpose the way that God has designed it to be. See, we need a perspective shift, really. It's interesting. I googled perspective shift (laughs) this week, and you would not believe the results. Here's some of the titles. 25 ways to change your perspective and improve your life. 11 ways to change your perspective and be more positive. How to shift your perspective and have a positive outlook. Change how you feel by changing your perspective. Seven perspective shifts which will change your life. And it goes on and on and on and on. And then you can Google, what is God's calling? What is God's calling for my life? And there's things like three steps to confidently discern God's calling. How can I follow my calling if I'm not sure what it is? Find God's calling for your life. Seven tips to find your calling. Here's the deal. What is clear is this, that there's a whole lot of people that are just borderline depressed because they have no clue what God's calling is for their life. And it does the opposite of freedom. It actually drags you into slavery and bondage. And I'll share in a little bit how it's done it in my own life. Because we spend so much time trying to discern God's calling that we actually miss his calling. That we actually miss what it means to live in the fullness and the freedom of Christ. God, I ask that you would come into this place right now, that you would do what my words cannot God, that you would move in a way that only you can move. God, I thank you that your word never returns void and it always accomplishes the purpose to which you sent it out for. God, I just pray that in this room, wherever someone is at, God, that you would set them free. God, that we would be a bunch of free people. That we would be a church that runs under the banner of Jesus with the anthem of freedom because you have come to set us free. But would we see what that is and would we not, God, manipulate it into something that it's not? God, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This is very interesting. If you've been with us for some time, we know that Paul has been battling with the Galatians over this idea of adherence to the law because they had been set free, but the natural desire was, well, we got to go back to doing these things for God to earn his love. Paul is saying you need to stand firm then, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Which, to me, I look at this, and it's like, okay, God did create and design us to be free, but he also says that we have to stand firm against something. And we can't just willingly submit to those things that have previously shackled us. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. 
I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. That's a scary place to be. Paul's saying, hey, all you Jews and even Gentiles in Galatia who are going back to the law that actually wasn't given to you, but you're running to it because you think you can earn the love of Christ, it's not just bringing you into bondage. It's actually severing you from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Why? Because grace is God giving us what we did not deserve. We cannot earn his love. We cannot measure up to his love. And there's nothing that we can do to earn the right standing before a righteous and a holy God. Think about this idea of falling away from grace. To fall away from grace is actually to fall away from the totality of the gospel. It's not just this subculture thing. It's like, no, you're just falling away from Christ altogether. But as we're going to see, grace is not a license to sin and neither is freedom. But when we understand what it is, it really produces this free life. Verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul's basically saying, hey, there's nothing you can do and you cannot do that really measures up and counts for anything if it's apart from Christ. Only faith working through love. I find it very amazing, as we're going to see in a second, this idea of freedom goes hand in hand with love and serving others. It just does. Paul sums it up in the end of chapter 5, but we'll get there in a second. Verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? We talked a couple weeks ago, if you were here, about this idea of freedom. And you cannot walk in freedom unless you obey the things that God has called you to do, who he has called us to be. Without obeying his word, we really cannot walk in freedom. But here's the amazing thing, and I held it until today. <laughs> There's a second part to freedom as well. And it's really understanding what God's purpose and will is for your life. And I think it's going to be something that maybe you've never even thought of before. Or maybe if you have thought of, it's going to give you a new perspective, I pray, so that we would walk in freedom. But Paul is saying, you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. You were running within this free gift of salvation. You were, doing, you were running with Christ, and now you're reverting back to all the things you think that you have to do to earn his love. Who kept you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you, a.k.a. God. <laughs> he said, this is not from God that you turned and that you quit running well, you quit obeying. It's not from God, it's from someone else, a.k.a. the devil. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will, make, that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Paul's saying, if I was, there's this rumor, basically what this is saying is there was rumors going around that Paul was preaching both circumcision and uncircumcision in regard to the gospel. That was the rumor. Paul was clearing it up and saying, uh, for whoever is saying that, if I were still actually doing that as you said I was, then why am I still being persecuted? 
All that to say, Paul is saying, obviously I'm not because I'm still highly, highly persecuted. And then he says this, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, uh, I already read that. In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Why the offense of the cross? Because the cross proclaims that you can do nothing on your own merit, nothing on your own strength, nothing of yourself to earn the love, favor, the grace, the mercy of God. Nothing. So it's actually a slap in the face to the cross to say that you have to earn it. I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Not a nice term. means castrate. I mean, that's pretty bold language. Those who are pulling you away from truth, pulling you away from Christ, pulling you away from grace, pulling you away and severing you, I wish that you would just be emasculated because it does deep, deep damage. Verse 13, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So what is going on here? What is really happening is here's the idea. There's a whole lot of stuff in here, and it's sandwiched between two two things, freedom. (laughs) Paul opens it with, we are called to freedom, and he closes this with, you are called to freedom, brothers. So everything in between is kind of like what was pulling them away. But the whole point of this whole text was that, was this, that we are not bound to the yoke of slavery anymore. Basically, he's saying this, that carrying this overwhelming weight of trying to measure up to the standard of God is not freedom. Trying to earn that which God has given is not freedom. Or carrying the weight of what you do or do not do as a contingency for his love for you is not freedom. So what is? Here's what freedom comes from. Knowing, and don't miss it, knowing that God finds more pleasure in how you run than where you run. What do I mean? Well, this idea of calling, as we're about to see, that really produces freedom, we have messed it up. We think that calling is all the things that we think we have to do because we're guilted into it, because we're not on the vocational ministry field, and therefore we're not serving God. Or, man, I can't sell insurance because I just feel like that's totally against what God has for my life. No, 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 no. Freedom is this, that God does not find more pleasure in you because of where you're running versus how you're running. How are you running where you're planted? How are you running as you sell insurance? How are you running as you sell boats? How are you running? Because I've been the opposite place. This guilt of like, well, I don't know God's plan for my life, therefore I just don't do anything. I'm just crippled. (laughs) 
My prayer for today is that we would see that God's design is that wherever you run, run for his glory and his glory alone. Paul uses this analogy of running in verse 7. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to who? Yourself? No. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Have you guys ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire? It's a great movie. If you haven't, I would recommend it. It's an oldie but a goodie. (laughs) It's based on the 1924 Olympics with these two prominent runners. One is Eric Liddell and two is Harold Abrahams. Both were successful athletes and they were both running for the glory and the fame of their nations. Liddell, he was a devout Christian who represented Scotland Crazy thing was, was he was a missionary, and some believe that he should give up the sport to preach. So don't run. God just called you to preach. So give up running to go preach. But he believed that God had called him to race for the glory of God. Abraham's, on the other hand, was a Jew. He ran for Great Britain, and he loved his country so much, and he was completely obsessed with winning. He studied the sport, threw himself completely into it, and made running his passion. But here's the deal. The movie is very clear that there is a great contrast between them both. They both run, but they run for very different reasons. Liddell, in one scene, makes this statement. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Abraham said this in another scene. And now, in one hour's time, I will be out there again. I will raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Two different perspectives. One was full of life, felt the pleasure of God, and the other was completely just lonely, and his whole identity was wrapped up in this four-feet lane in ten lonely seconds. Liddell and Abrahams were set to face each other in a qualifying heat, if you've seen the movie, and Liddell would not run because it was on a Sunday. It was his conviction that he would not run on a Sunday. So he actually chose not to run, which allowed Abrahams to win. But the crazy thing to me as I was watching this and thinking through this is Liddell still found pleasure in watching in the same way he did running. In fact, when Abrahams won the race, he went up and just gave him this big hug and he was excited for him. But see, here's the deal. How can this be? Because he knew God's love and pleasure toward him was not through what he did, but who he was. I want you to hear this uh, quote from him, that this is what he said when he decided not to race. He said this, you came to see a race today, see someone win. Happened to be me, but I want to do more than just watch a race. I want to take part in it. I want to compare faith to running a race. It's hard, 
requires concentration of will, energy of soul. You experience elation when the winner breaks the tape, especially if you've got a bet on it. But how long does that last? You go home. Maybe your dinner's burnt. Maybe you haven't got a job. So who am I to say believe and have faith in the face of life's realities? I would like to give you something more permanent, but I can only point the way. I have no formula for winning the race. Everyone runs in her own way or his own way. And where does the power come from to see the race to its end? From within. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. If with all your heart you truly seek me, you shall truly find me. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ, and this is how you run a straight race. What if God's entire purpose for your and my life was primarily to run and live right in the middle of the love of Christ? What if it was to live right smack dab in the middle of the love of Christ and also to love and serve others as he has said? See, walking in the freedom of Christ comes through understanding this and don't miss it. God has no hidden agenda for your life. He's not expecting you to measure up. He's not desiring you to be more successful than whoever you're comparing yourself with. There is not a sacred calling that you're more blessed or loved if you're doing the Lord's work. We are all commissioned to the Lord's work. All of us. He's not looking for us to measure up, and he's not saying, oh, man, because you sell insurance, you're less worthy than me who's standing on the stage and preaching. I would say, man, that's no further from the truth. In fact, sometimes I envy you people who can sell insurance. (laughs) There's no sacred calling, and God has no hidden agenda for your life. You know what the Lord's work is? Colossians 3.17 says it very clearly. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe that's why we're so burdened down and bogged down and depressed because we have put our entire identity in what we do rather than who Christ is. That he wants us to rest and live in his love and live in his freedom. But if our identity is in all the things that we're doing, we have completely and utterly missed it altogether. It doesn't matter what you do. Reverend J.D. Liddell said this to Eric in the movie, you can praise God by peeling a spud if you peel it to perfection. Compromise is a language of the devil. Run in God's name and let the world stand back and in wonder. The amazing thing to me about Eric is he literally said, man, I feel like God's created me for a purpose, but he's also made me very fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. What area of your life do you feel his pleasure when you run? See, I have often, I've had this experience my whole life trying to measure up. To be honest, if I'm completely honest, which I'm honest with you guys, I always desire to be honest with you. 
I went through a season in my life where I literally felt like it would be in direct disobedience to God if I did not pursue preaching. And you know what it did? It pounded me down. Because I was like, well, God, you've called me to preach, but if I do anything else, I'll be in direct disobedience, and therefore your love will not rest upon me, and therefore your favor will no longer rest upon me. And you know what I'm finding out? It was a lie straight from the pit of hell. God does not care so much what I do as what I do and who I do it for. I could build roads for the glory of God. I could sell boats for the glory of God. I could teach for the glory of God. I could start a business for the glory of God. But what it's done for me is it's really, I mean, when I went into preaching, man, I'm telling you, there was some dark, dark days. And now I'm just getting to the place where it's like, God, thank you that you've given me the ability to preach. And would I find your pleasure in it? I've often felt like Abraham's, and when he said, and now in one hour's time I will be out there again, I will raise my eyes and look down the corridor four feet wide with lonely ten seconds just to justify my whole existence, but will I? It can be a hard thing. Because <laughs> we wrap our identity up in who God has called us to be and how he has justified us. What I'm learning is this, that freedom only comes from Liddell's perspective I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Here's my purpose. Commit myself to rest in the love of Christ for me. To love him with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37. And to love my neighbor as myself, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. But he's also given me the ability to preach, and I should find pleasure in that. It's a completely different perspective. My purpose is not this. My purpose is to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and to love others in the same way. That's my purpose. That's your purpose. It's not tied up in what you do. It's who you're doing it for. And if we could get that, we would be set free. This bondage that just beats you down. Oh, you should be doing something else. You're not living in the calling of God. How dare you do that? That's not God's heart. He hates that you're doing that. Can you believe that you would do that? You need to be going on the mission field and you need to be doing whatever the enemy is giving you lies to do. No doubt God may call you to do that. But do not be burdened and bogged down by the yoke of slavery. Do whatever you do for the glory of God and find his pleasure in it. Because his pleasure is not in what you do, it's who you are. It's who he's called you to be. Because he has chosen to love you, and he has chosen to give himself for you. See, it's the same thing for you. Your purpose is to commit and rest in the love of Christ for you. Loving him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. But remember, maybe he's also given you the ability to sell real estate. Maybe he's also given you the ability to build roads or flip burgers or counsel others or clean teeth or handle money or teach or build houses or cut hair or be a mom or whatever it may be. And would you feel his pleasure in that if you're pursuing him and your identity is wrapped up in who Christ is and how he has loved you and called you his own son or daughter? It's not your career path that you choose. It's how you choose to use the career path that you take. That's what brings God pleasure.
And that's what allows you to live in freedom. I love what Luther said. Um, See, because here's the deal. The devil will try to persuade you otherwise so that you remain under the yoke of slavery. And Luther said this. Luther called the devil a juggler of a thousand sand tricks by means of which he is able to impress such an obvious and shameful lie on the heart that you would swear 1,000 times that it is the most certain truth. You know what the devil tries to do? Juggle this thousand sand tricks and tell you a thousand times that your identity is wrapped up in what you do. That your identity is wrapped up in the things that you don't do or you aren't doing. You know what God is saying? Your identity is wrapped up in the fact that I hung on a cross, that I hung there and had you in mind, and that that was all out of love, and it had nothing to do with what you were going to do or not do. It had everything to do with the fact that I wanted to love you, and I chose you to love you as my son or daughter. Rest in it. That's freedom. That's freedom. And I'm still working through it, and I'm still trying to figure it out because, man, I am just driven sometimes. I'm so tunnel-visioned. All I see is the lane in front of me, and it can be the most lonely place on the planet if I get my perspective off. That Jesus wants us to rest in him and in his love. See, this is what the devil was trying to do to the church in Galatia regarding adherence to the law. He was wanting to sever them from Christ to fall from grace. He was wanting them to make them, de- or make them believe a lie that would hold them captive. Don't let him do the same to you. One of his greatest lies is this. Walk in freedom, but use it for the flesh. Paul says it right here in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now this is twofold. We often read this, and it's like, yeah, don't use your freedom as a license to sin. That's not why Christ has come. We don't just walk in sin because, like, oh, God's grace covers it all. It doesn't really matter what I do. It's not the heart of God. We don't walk in the flesh because we've been given this amazing gift of grace. But you know what else I think it's also saying? Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. See, we like to use the things we're good at to serve our own flesh and serve our own desires. We often build roads to fulfill our own desires, not to serve others. Maybe we handle money to gain more and not to give more. Maybe we teach to have the summers off and not pour into the kids that are right before us. Whatever it may be, here's the biggest lie of the enemy is don't use it as a desire or reason for the flesh is do whatever you want to do. There is freedom in that. Just glorify God with it. And we don't glorify God when we use our gifts and our talents and we hoard it all for ourselves. Because Paul is saying that part of freedom is this, through love serve one another. Think about how beautiful it would be. If we all had our gifts and talents and we had the freedom to execute within them and we didn't have to feel bad about what we're doing. Now, let me say this. There are some things that, I mean, if you're dealing drugs, God doesn't find pleasure in that. Right? 
There are professions that I'm not saying God finds pleasure in all your professions. What I'm saying is the things that God has gifted you with that will honor him and will bring him glory and will exalt his name, he finds pleasure in that. And we are to use that for his glory and not just our own flesh. Because we can do all these things that he's gifted us at and then just hoard it all and hold on so tightly that we don't love people, that we don't serve others, that God's given us more resources. So the more he gives us, we just hold tighter and tighter and tighter. And I promise you there's no freedom in that. There's not. But God has done this amazing thing and that he has not defined us by what we do. He has defined us by who we we are, and it's up to us to walk into it. I love how Eric in that quote said something about the fact that I can tell you, basically, I don't have any magic formula. I can tell you the truth, but it's basically up to you to do it. Same with Scripture. It can tell us the truth, or I can tell you something, you know, but I have no power in myself to make any of it work in your life. You just have to come before God in the morning, lay your request before him, bring him a sacrifice and wait and watch because he's faithful. But I really want you to hear this before we wrap up. If you want to walk in freedom, trust me because I'm learning it myself, you cannot be bogged down by the things you are doing or not doing. You have to be uplifted into the person that Christ has called you to be, to rest in his love, to trust his faithfulness, and say, God, praise God that I serve you, a God who does not define me by what I do or do not do. You just see me, and you call me higher. Whatever God has called you to do, do it with all your strength and all your mind and all your soul and all your desire, but do it for his glory and not yours. Do it so that you would serve and love others and not serve and love yourself. That is freedom. So what is freedom? How do we get it? A couple weeks ago, you obey the truth. God did not give us this to make us walk in bondage. This is our life manual, manual and it's full of life. So we obey what he has called us to do, but also we understand that we are not defined by what we do. We are defined by who he says we are. See, here's the deal as we wrap up. He finds pleasure when we use our giftings to love and serve others for his glory. I think I have this for the screens, but I'm just going to read 1 Corinthians 13 with this idea of love, and I want you to think of two things. I want you to think of how you're loving someone around you that is very hard to love, and I also want you to think about it through the lens of the way that God sees you. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. Here's the part. Listen closely. How are you loving someone else and how is God loving you? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect, the partial, when the, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. If we could get this, if we could understand this, not just through the lens of what God is calling us to, how he's calling us to love and serve others, because that is freedom. But also if we could get it through the lens of the way that God loves you, that is freedom. That you don't have to be bogged down by the things the enemy wants to do to destroy you. But you can rest in the fact that there is a God in heaven who fiercely loves you. And did everything on his power and measure to set you free. Here's the gospel if you're in this room and if the band wants to come up. I don't know where you're at in this room. And maybe this is like, well, Luke, that's great. But I don't even know Jesus. Here's the gospel. That in a moment you can be set free. That you don't have to measure up anymore. That you don't have to measure up to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your spouse. That you don't have to be bogged down in all the things that you think God is against you in. No, he's for you. And he's for you so much that he proved it when he hung on a cross. All you have to do is say, God, I believe that when Jesus hung on a cross, that counted for me. And because of that, I will turn from my old way of life and I will turn to you, Jesus. And I believe that when you hung on the cross, it counted for me. And I just want to give my old life up, and I want to come to you and bow at your feet and say, praise God for a loving king who would come even in my shame and my mess and my sin and my disasters and my mess-ups and all of it, and it had no impact on his love for me. He still chose to love me the same. If you will come to him in a moment like this, and it doesn't even matter how you do it. There's no magic prayer. There's no magic formula. It's God, I'm jacked up, and I know that life upon Apart from you is living hell, and I can't do it on my own any longer. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then you can live this unshackled life filled with the freedom of God. And if you're in this room and you've been a believer for a very long time and you've been beat down by all the things that you think you were supposed to be, the person you were supposed to be, the job you were supposed to do, the calling that you were supposed to enter into and you never did, 
I don't know where that's at. I mean, maybe you did walk in disobedience and didn't do the thing God called you to do. Well, there's a chance now to do it. Just make a decision and do it. But I want you to hear this. His love for you is not contingent upon that decision, and it's not contingent upon your disobedience, and it's not contingent upon the things that you have done. It's contingent on the merit of Christ as he hung on the cross. Whatever you do, whether word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. Sell insurance for the glory of God. Build roads for the glory of God. Teach kids for the glory of God. Be a mom for the glory of God. Build websites for the glory of God. Serve food for the glory of God. Own a business for the glory of God. Do taxidermy for the glory of God. Build homes for the glory of God. Manage money for the glory of God. Whatever it is, do it for the glory of God because that is freedom. That's freedom. That we can live in the love of a great and a mighty king who is not contingent upon what we do or don't do. And we can enter into freedom and say, praise God that you loved me. Now I find your pleasure in what I do. Why? Because you're doing it for his glory. But hear this. The only way you can find his pleasure in what you do is if you do it for his glory in his name you do it to serve yourself, you will not find his pleasure. If you do it to build your portfolio alone, you won't find his pleasure. But whatever you give to him, he will hold <laughs> and watch as he does amazing and incredible things. We're going to sing this last song and And I just encourage you to praise God, do business in your chair, whatever you need to do. We'll have a few people up front to pray for you. If you need prayer, just come forward. After this song, though, I want to do something, and I don't know, where's Tom? There's Tom and Lenny. We're going to pray for Tom and Lenny after this song, and so I'll talk about that in a bit. But I just want you to rest in the fullness of God right now. I want you as you praise and lift your hands or however you worship, I want you to know that you are deeply loved and deeply cared for by the God of heaven. And if you need to just come to Christ and surrender your life and get rid of sin, just do it in this moment and watch as you begin to live an unshackled life because that's the message of the gospel. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this room. I thank you for what you're doing in this place, in the lives of your people. God, would we be a bunch of people that live in the fullness and the joy of our salvation, knowing, God, that you love us just for who we are, not based upon what we can do for you or offer you or what we can do for our careers, God. But there is freedom to be had if we will rest in the fact of your purpose for us is that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind, and that we would do the same and love others as ourselves. God, that is your purpose. That is your plan. And would we do it well? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.